Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Squid and the Ultimate Leaf Fan, brought to you by the Hockey News. With over 2 million dedicated readers, the Hockey News established in 1947 is the authoritative source of hockey and the number one hockey publication in North America. With an ever-growing podcast network and a video database on top of an already established print and digital brand, the Hockey News is there to cover all major sports stories from around the world. Visit THN.com deal to get the best value and subscription to the Hockey News. I'm Mike Wilson, the Ultimate Least Fan, and with me as always, my winger, Ricky Squid Vibe. Squid, we're now down to two, and at first blush, as any indication, it looks like a very promising for a terrific final between Tampa and Dallas. Oh, boy, I tell you, it could, it could be. I mean, uh, the downfall for Tampa could be the injuries are racking up, and guys are getting nicked up and, and hurt. Uh, Sorelli going down last night. Yeah, he did finish the game and score the the game winner, but, um, you know, those things, the further you go on, and Dallas is a pretty big physical team, that that could play into the finals. Uh, but it's kind of nice to see uh, those two teams in the finals. Uh, uh, you know, neither one of them uh, have won. Have, well, Dallas has won one cup quite a while ago. And Tampa won. Tampa won one too. And Tampa won one, but not since what eighty four or ninety four. So I mean, it's great. Two thousand and four, or sorry, two thousand four. Yes, you're correct. Uh, yeah, I'm bad with dates. I don't remember them that well. But but anyway, uh, no, it's it it should be exciting. Um, I mean, it is a Stanley Cup final, and let's hope it goes six, seven games because. Uh, I think they're both good teams. They're both well coached, and uh, I think if you look at the depth, I think you probably have to give the edge to Tampa. But uh, I thought that about Vegas over Dallas as well, and uh, look what happened there. So, well, you know, the turnaround in Dallas is nothing short of remarkable. I, when I was following the Leafs two years ago, I remember going to Dallas for the fourth game of the season, and this team—they looked hopelessly lost. They were a one-line team that looked like they were going through the motions. The fans walked in. The rink looked like they were walking a death plank. Uh, there was zero buzz in the city about the team. It, it had all the hallmarks of a franchise just headed for disaster from top to bottom. And they just seemed to pres- you know, persevere and uh, seemed to just push along. And all of a sudden now, leadership coming from Jamie Benn, who's now emerged as a Conn Smythe candidate, and they got phenomenal goaltending out of Kobadin. I just butchered that name, I'm sure, uh, which is always need to win. And they're suddenly all of a sudden in the Stanley Cup final. Yeah. It's a, well, give Jim Nill a lot of credit, I think. You know, Absolutely. The way they've drafted. I mean, if you look at their defense, those guys are all drafted. Haskinen, uh, the, their whole defense are solid, and they're all draft picks. And then he adds Pavelski and uh, – uh, what's his name? Uh, Corey Perry. Corey Perry, two guys that have experience of winning a Stanley Cup. And, uh, you know, so I, I think you got to give Jim Nill a lot of credit. And then, uh, well, it was a circumstances beyond uh, what he could do when he had to get rid of Montgomery, unfortunately. It was, uh, uh, you know, I think it was something Jim or Nill had to do uh, because of the circumstances, but bonus has taken over and he, he's brought that team uh, this far and uh, he turned everything around. 
Well, he's the, uh, he's the feel-good story of the NHL this year. Certainly Rick Bonus and everybody just loves the guy. And we can't ignore Tampa also, who you mentioned at the beginning of the call, that they're beat up. They're missing some key players. They stamp goes. Hedman, I'm sure, is not 100%, although he's certainly not playing like it. He's playing like a Norris Trophy winner. Uh, Point just can barely stay in a lineup. He's so beat up. And I'm sure they got lots of other guys that are the same way. But they're getting the same thing. They're getting elite goaltending from Vasilevsky. And they just look... They look almost unstoppable at this point in time. But if one team matches up well against them, I'd say it looks like it's Dallas. Yeah, I would have to think. Uh, I would rather see a Vegas-Tampa final mm-hmm. only because I think it'd be a little bit more kind of run and gun and uh, speed. And, you know, they'd be up and down the ice like crazy where Dallas is more of a kind of – they're like the Islanders, I guess. They kind of just sit around and they just wait for their opportunities and then they pounce on them. And uh, they're a very uh, opportunistic team. And they did that against Vegas. Uh, Vegas outplayed them pretty much every single game. Mm-hmm. And they just kind of hung around, hung around, you know, one one, one nothing, And then all of a sudden, bang, bang, and they're up 2-1. And then they hold on and they win. So, uh, but I, I wish it was Vegas. I think it'd be a little more exciting. I think it'd be a little bit more yeah. uh, offense. And, uh, but... It still should be a very, very good uh, series, I think. Well, the games are getting better every night, and you never know these guys are playing in a bubble just from that level of play that just seems to be increasing, accelerating. So we're pretty excited as hockey fans that this is going to be a terrific final. So we'll watch with lots of interest, yeah. But the bubble thing I like because I just saw that they announced that uh, the 2021 uh, World, World Juniors, Juniors yeah. played in a bubble in Edmonton. So uh, they're already preparing for what's no, probably yeah. going to come next, I guess, down the road with uh, with uh, coronavirus. So uh, they've got their ducks in a row and they're getting all ready and, uh, to make sure that the World Juniors does happen. Exactly. So we will definitely be watching with lots of interest. And, uh, you know, moving in Leafland, we finally got a little bit of uh, on the coaching news. And it's interesting. Uh, it's, it's a, it's a ni- nice segue into our, our guest we have today, uh, the second part of our interview with Bruce Boudreau. And we talk about his coaching career. But it looks like the Leafs have landed a guy who was pretty much in demand, Manny Mahaltra from Vancouver, who was on the bench. I, I, I thought that a little strange that he would take a bit of a sideways move it looked like to be an assistant in Toronto. He already had that position in Vancouver and pretty much the same type of scenario. And yeah. it looks like he wants to come home is one of the things, but there was a number of teams after him. Yeah. It, it, it was kind of strange. I, I thought too, Mike, because I mean, cause he said like, I want to go to a team. I, I'm going to a team that has a lot of, uh, you know, good young players and everything. Well, I mean, if you look at Vancouver, they're exactly the same. They've got some fantastic young players. Yeah, exactly. I mean, they're going to be a good team going forward, just like the Leafs probably will. But it's, yeah, you're right. It's kind of a sideways move in all aspects. But you never know. Maybe there was some other, maybe it gets a little more responsibility or maybe there's a couple additive incentives for him or something in lines. But again, we'll watch again with interest as we, we always do with further developments. And I would have picked that Boudreau would have been the candidate they probably would have preferred to have. But I think in one aspect, it might have been unfair to Keith to have a guy with that stature standing beside him because especially if they got off to a little bit of a slow start, you, it, it would almost be a death sentence for him and it wouldn't really be fair. Well, 
I guess my big question on that is, I, I think now most teams, the coach picks one assistant and management hires the other assistant. So Maholtra is whose pick? Is it management or is it the coach? And um, if it is the coach, maybe that played into it. The, the fact that Bruce is, you know, a, a proven NHL head coach and you don't want someone looking over your shoulder who's been there before and done that. And, you know, I, I know from talking to a lot of people I've coached uh, in different levels of hockey that uh, the last thing they want is someone looking over their shoulder that's already been there and done that uh, because it, 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 it can be a little uncomfortable. Well, you're a, you're a player yourself. Look at that. What if they get up to a slow start? And yeah. the players start listening to the coaches. Who are they looking at for instruction? They look into the guy in charge currently, or they look into the guy that's probably going to step into his job. <laughs> so you know how it works. Oh, it's yeah. like that in any line of work or any business, or I don't care where you are. You're going to go, the guy who's on the sinking ship, you're looking the other way. You're looking the guy who's on the raft and is headed to the big boat. Okay. <laughs> <Yeah>. so. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, because you know that he's going to be the next guy and you want to make sure that he likes the way you're playing because you know that your ice time is going to depend on that. So, yeah, uh, yeah absolutely. So, I mean, it's not a bad thing. I mean, yeah. you know, Gabby, I mean, I know he's been an assistant coach probably somewhere along the way, but, but he's primarily been a head coach and, you know, I, I, I'm not sure. Maybe he did. Maybe he, didn't want the, the assistant's job there. I, I'm not really sure. Well, as a good lead, and let's go and find out because we do talk yeah. about that on our, our segment with uh, Gabby. And without further ado, let's turn it over to him. Let's let somebody has to say about coaching. I spoke to a mutual friend of ours the other day, uh, Jeff Green, and he had some very nice things to say about you uh, when you guys played together as 16-year-olds with the Mark and Waxers and the Marlins. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And one of the things he pointed out about you, and Rick and I talked about this uh, earlier today, was that you – had such a way uh, as being one of the stars in the team, but you made everybody in that team feel important that their contribution was significant for the team to have success. And you went so far as to make Jeff give himself a nickname, which he called himself Turk after Derek Sanderson. Mm -hmm. Now he, that has stuck with him his whole life. And he said this sort of personality you had and this positive attitude you had just sort of showed the way you were. So, I mean, were you, you've just kind of touched on it. You went from player to coaching. Was coaching something you had in the back of the mind at some point or you thought you well, could possibly do? I was the player assistant coach um, for St. Catharines in the American League in the early 80s for mm -hmm. three years with Doug Carpenter. And then I, I went uh, to Fort Wayne. I was the player assistant coach um, in Fort Wayne for three years. And so it was definitely – what I wanted to do. I didn't know what else to do. Uh, when I, in 87, I think it was after my uh, Springfield new market uh, year, my wife said, that's it. I'm not moving anymore. <laughs> so I, I tried to get a job as the uh, director of personnel for the city. And my sister-in-law made up a resume that I didn't even recognize who it was, but I was one of the last three, I was one of three guys to get interviewed. And the, the interviewer who, who was retiring was the lacrosse coach in St. Catherine. So I'm sure that's the sports thing, the thing. And he came in and he said, well, I hear you do contracts. 
And he says, because you're going to have to do contracts with the unions and everything else. And I said, Mr. Brady, I said, after about 10 minutes, I said, I don't know what you're talking about. I can't do any of this. So I'm just taking myself out of the, out of the equation. And that's when I knew it was either coaching or bust. Uh, if I wasn't going to do that, I was going to be a greeter at Walmart my whole life. So uh, uh, I got lucky in the coaching, and I haven't had to do that. Well, well now, let, me, let me touch on that, too. Yeah. About, uh, somebody yeah. saying that about you uh, when you played with them. And, and at a young age, and, and I found out when I get into coaching too, and I was lucky like you were that I kind of went from playing right into coaching. And uh, mind you, I only coached for eight years and you coached a lot longer than I did. But um, that was one of the things I think probably that, that made you a, a good coach was the fact that you made everybody on the team feel like they were all the same, like they were all – as important as the next guy. And I think that's so important as a coach and, and young coaches today that may be listening uh, have to realize that even your fourth line, your penalty killers, they need to know that they're, whatever they're doing and their job, their role is just as important as the guys that are scoring the goals. And that was one of the things that I kind of, I, I read a lot of uh, books before I get into coaching uh, psychology and that sort of thing. And that was one of the things in the books, uh, the sports psychology books that I read. And I, it really, really helped me a lot to recognize that, you know, player A and player B have different roles, but you got to make them all feel like they're just as important as the next guy. Would you agree with that? Or I agree a hundred percent because when I was playing and I was in the NHL, uh, uh, you know, the coaches never talk to you at all. I mean, yeah. they, they talk to you to send you down. And I remember whether it was Mike Nicklick or Floyd Smith or uh, Roger would be the only person that really talked to you. But you never knew whether you were doing the right thing or the wrong thing. And I made a point of saying to myself that I was always going to make, you know, if I got to be coach, I want to make these fourth line guys feel as important as the first line guys, because that's the way you win. If you don't make them feel important, then they won't care whether you win or lose. They'll just look for their, you know, they'll hope that they have a job. But I, so I agree with you wholeheartedly. I mean, it's, it's our job as coaches to make sure everybody feels important. Everybody has a role and they stick to that role. Now, you're a pretty outgoing guy, Gabby, as, as we can tell, and any of the viewers can tell listening to you and, and anybody who knows you. The, so for you to make that transition from – this is two questions here. For you to make that transition from player to coach is obviously – and Squid, you can jump in here too because it's obviously something difficult you have to do or maybe it's not difficult to do. But did you have to put some hard and fast restrictions on yourself as far as getting too close to a player or players or even just as doing something simple as having a beer with a guy? Yeah, I, I really did. And, um, I, and I came to the conclusion right away that, I mean, I can, be, I can be friendly, but I can't be your friend. That was what I was saying. And I can never go out drinking with you anymore. Um, I'm, it's all business at the rink because I've had to sit out guys that I played with two years before and because I caught them out for curfew. And it was the toughest thing because they were great friends of mine and they begged me not to do it and you don't want to do it. But then the, the thing that you think is these are, you know, 
if I want to coach, I have to do this. And I'd start to walk out of the room and I didn't want to do it because it's a hard thing to do. And then you'd stop and you'd say, nope, I got to do it. And you'd turn back and you'd go do it. Um, so it was a real difficult thing because especially in my first couple of years, I wanted to go out with these guys after the game because I missed going out with the, you missed the camaraderie of your teammates. And, yeah. but you were steadfastly, I couldn't do it and I couldn't do it. And, um, uh, a couple of them have since retired, and then you become friends with them. But I would never—I was couldn't be their friend during during the season or when they were still playing for me. Squid, how about yeah. you? Yeah, I, I think he's absolutely right, and uh, it was hard, very very difficult because you don't, especially when you go to the East Coast League where I started, and I had an—I I didn't have an assistant coach my first year have one trainer and a radio guy. And that's pretty much it. And uh, it's very, very difficult to, to keep yourself away from going out and doing that. And uh, all I, the, the one thing I did do was every day on the way to the rink, I picked three guys that I was going to have a conversation with. And it wasn't necessarily always about hockey. Sometimes it was, sometimes it wasn't. And the one thing I did was I, I wanted them to know that I cared and that I cared about them as people and as players. Uh, I never became their friends, obviously, and I wasn't going to be going out with them. But I just wanted them to know that I was there and that if they needed anything, that I, you know, I was available. And I think that went a long way. Uh, but some of those guys that I talked to that I cared about, I had to cut, I had to trade, yep. and, and that's always very difficult. So um, you can't, as Bruce said, you can't become real friendly with anybody because you're going to have tough decisions to make with those guys. That makes it that much more difficult if you become friends. Well, longtime baseball manager, Billy Martin, we all know, and we all watched him uh, with some of his antics over the years with the Yankees. He actually summarized coaching or managing down to this simple phrase. And he said, you have a 25 man roster and 15 guys will go through a wall for you. Five guys absolutely hate your guts. And there's five guys on the fence. So your job as the manager is to make sure the five guys who hate your guts never talk to the guys who are on the fence. <laughs> That's a good line. <laughs> and does that pretty much sum it up? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you can't, I mean, it's impossible to please everybody. Yeah. I have it right in, uh, uh, on my wall in the, in, um, in the coaching room, everywhere I go, it says, I may not know the secret uh, to winning, but I know the secret to losing is trying to be, fr uh, trying to be nice to everybody. And that's, <laughs> that. you, you can't do it. You, you're going to have to tick some people off to make the right decisions you feel as a coach. And unfortunately, it, it hurts people's feelings and they think it's, it's personal, but it's not personal. It never is. And well, it's, very, it's very, very difficult, too. I mean, it's not easy because these, these kids, well, in my case, they were, they were all relatively – Jared Bednar was one of the guys that played for me and won the championship that year. And, you know, it, it's so difficult because, you know, these are, these are human beings and they're trying to, to, to reach their goals as, as a hockey player. And sometimes you feel horrible – when you have to do something, but then you go into, you shut the door of your office and you sit there and then you realize I did the right thing. Uh, he's going to be okay. And 
we're going to all move on. And uh, that's the way you have to kind of focus on it and, and stay that way. Well, you know, I, I think that's, that's the way you have to be. And I think, Gabby, this one goes right along the same lines as what we've been talking about here is the fact, how long before you realized you, you had to develop a thick skin to deal not only with the media, but also with players? Because remember now, you're on the other side, and even Rick, is, this is you too. And you're, you're the guy now who's getting talked about behind his back when guys are out having beers and cutting up the coach. You know what? I don't know if I ever got – you have to have a thick skin, but um, uh, it's – I, you know, I mean, I, I always, I didn't know if I had one or didn't, because I would worry like crazy at home, yeah. and I worry whether I'm doing the right thing. Um, I mean, I never, you know, walked around with my chest out and said, "Hey, I don't care what you think. This is the way I'm doing it." I was never like that. I think I was really, uh, uh, again, uh, into what they felt and didn't want anybody to feel bad. But you can't make everybody happy. Well, you, um, much like your playing career, you traveled the I, the ECHL, the HL, and you put the time in and you were coaching. Did you ever think that maybe that call wasn't going to come to the big team? Uh, I said to myself, if I was 55 years old and still coaching in the minors, uh, I would, I, I don't think I'd ever get a chance in the NHL. I was 53 when I got the, got the opportunity. Um, never took anything for granted. I was always so worried. When I got called up to coach Washington, the first thing I asked George McPhee is, I know it's an interim job, George. Do I still have my job in Hershey when th this ends? And he said, yes, for sure, because I had just signed a four-year deal, the longest I'd ever done in my life. And uh, I wanted that. I wanted to make sure that that was going to be fine. And then unfortunately, well, no, fortunately, I guess, we just started winning right off the bat, and it became uh, um, uh, and, it, and it ended up being till today. Well, I just want to go back to that just before that, September the 11th, 2001. Everybody will live in that, you know, that, that tragic day forever. You were almost one of the casualties yourself. And yeah, it's quite a story, actually. Um, uh, Andy Murray, uh, we were all scheduled to come, you know, uh, Ace Bailey and myself, we flew together a lot. He was from Boston. I was living in Manchester. This was with LA, right at the time. With LA, with, I was with the LA organization. And that weekend, Bill O'Flaherty was the player, uh, director of player um, development. Um, uh, his daughter got married in um, uh, Lake Placid. So me and Ace went up there together and we drove home and I got the call that uh, uh, Andy Murray wanted me to come up on the Monday and that the team services guy was going to change the ticket. And I tried to get Ace to change his, but it was too expensive on their budget for him to change their tickets. So we had a, because Andy wanted a coach's dinner before training camp started on the Tuesday. Mm -hmm. So obviously I went up there on the Monday um, and the, the incident September 11th happened on the Tuesday. Problem is I didn't tell my kids that I was going up on the Monday that I changed my ticket. And they ran out of school in St. Catharines when they started seeing the, the Twin Towers and, and that. And, like, I still get goosebumps when I tell that story because they went right home and phoned my wife. And uh, uh, they were all bawling. And when she was phoning me about it, I was bawling. And, uh, you know, my, my two good friends, Mark Bavis and Ace Bailey, died in that. And, uh, um, you know, but I'll ever be grateful for Andy Murray to have a coach's dinner, which is why every 
training camp, I make sure the night before I have all the assistants and everybody over to the house or we go to a restaurant and have a coach's dinner. Well, I know I, I read. That was, a, that was a very difficult day. Mark Davis played for me in South Carolina with his twin brother, Mike. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm. And, you know, and of course, uh, Ace Bailey, I didn't know real well. I had met him a few times, but uh, that, that was a tough day. And uh, uh, it's one of those things that you're going to probably remember for a long, long time. Well, I know uh, I read a story about Wayne Gretzky and he, he, you know, took it right to heart like everybody else did, but particularly with Ace Bailey because he actually got him the job with LA. So he mm-hmm. took that real personal himself. Now, on the back of all that, obviously emotionally and spiritually, maybe even this may have had some effect in you, but did you actually, because you're a very upbeat person, did you actually take that like to, to appreciate what you had? Obviously your life was saved, but the fact that Instead of feeling any resentment for not being called up, did you use that sort of as a motivation to work even harder to get yourself that promotion? Um, I, I, it's a hard question to answer. I don't really recall, except I, I was uh, so grateful that I was yeah. still alive. And, yeah. Uh, and I, I just, it, since that time, I'm, I always thought, when it's my time, it'll be my time. Mm-hmm. Um, and you just sort of live life to the fullest as much as you can after that. I, I mean, those are things that, uh, I mean, so much has happened in my life from 2000, uh, September 11th, that 2001 till now. Like, I mean, I am just so blessed that, uh, that I was lucky enough to not get on that plane and, um, uh, and still be here today. So what about, uh, take us through the day you got the call from George finally. Well, the day we had won the Calder Cup two years before, and then we'd lost in the finals the last year. So this year, you know, we're going, and, you know, I didn't, uh, I didn't even think about uh, Washington was in last place. And initially, Doug Yinks phoned me up at the 6 o'clock in the morning, and, I, and I'm going, what the hell are you phoning me this early for? And he says, listen, I just wanted to let you know George McPhee is going to call you in five minutes. Be ready for the phone call. And I said, okay. So George called me up and he said, uh, uh, Bruce, uh, are you okay with coaching the Washington Capitals? <laughs> I said, are you kidding me? I couldn't believe he was actually saying this to me. And I said, yes, absolutely, George. What do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? And he says, I want you to be here. We practice at 11 o'clock this morning. And I started, me and my wife hung up the phone went into my son's room all three of us were jumping on the bed like it was a trampoline laughing and going crazy and i i got lost going to washington thought i was going to be late i was such a basket case uh going there and and it, but it, it was sort of a funny day because i went up there and the first person i had met was brooks like who i'd coached the previous two previous year or two in in uh, uh in hershey and he says what are you doing here and i said uh i don't know uh, George just asked me to come up here. And so I went into my office and had the meeting with George and uh, talked to the assistants. And I said, well, what did Glenn do? Like, I mean, well, let's, you know, just put a practice together and do the same stuff. And so we did. And then I went back to my office and I said, the hell with it. I said, uh, I'm going to do this my way. What, what's the worst that can happen, right? We're in dead last place in the NHL, mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm supposed to be doing this for, you know, for uh, uh, just in terms. So I changed everything, changed all the systems and everything in that one practice, went out there, um, 
Um, I called out Oveshkin my first practice to show <laughs> the guys that I had the nerve to do that. And yeah. then everything went pretty smoothly after that. So, well, that's what I was going to ask. I mean, did you, wait, and now did, you, did you address the team that day, obviously, on the ice? You being a player yourself, you've been in that position yourself, watching your coaches come in and address teams. What was your sense? Were you getting any sort of vibes from the body language of these guys? Were they looking at you with any kind of respect or thinking, who is this guy? No, they were pretty excited, actually, because I had seven players that I coached on the Calder Cup championship team, and mm -hmm. I knew we were all really tight. You know, and uh, so uh, those guys, I'm sure, as soon as they heard the news or as soon as I was out of the room, guys were asking them, what's this guy like? And they would have said really positive things about me. And uh, so I think I had that going in. Um, they were, you know, in last place. And I came in with an awful lot of positivity, I think. And I think they liked that because they were being beat up a little bit. And... Uh, we won our first game in Philadelphia, and then, uh, you know, the rest was history for that year. Well, I think they probably were pretty <laughs> happy when you came up, because I don't think I've ever seen anybody that was more positive than you on a day-to-day -day basis. Uh, playing with you, uh, watching your coach. I mean, yeah, I see when you get down sometimes, you're losing or whatever, but you always seem to be a very, very positive individual, and I'm, I'm assuming that that had a lot to do with your success as a coach more than likely. I well, mean, I'm, hope, yeah. I'm hoping it did. I mean, uh, um, my, you know, every day, no matter how bad things went the night before, I mean, I was always in the dressing room talking to every, I, I made a point of, of reaching out and talking to everybody every day in the room, seeing how they were doing this and that and saying, let's get going. We had a horse, a crappy day last yesterday. Forget it. Today's a different day. Let's go. Let's get on the on the, the right foot and let's have a great practice and let's go after him again. And uh, uh, I just think that's my personality is being pretty positive. So, I mean, um, it, it, uh, uh, it worked out and uh, hopefully it gets a chance to work out again. Well, I remember seeing an interview and you right around, you guys were starting to win a little bit in Washington. And I think you got to about 14th place. And you may not remember this, but I, I thought it was just hilarious. The, the journalist asked you a question about, was this a big game? You, you talked about being a big game. And you said, oh, why? Because it's a good motivator for your team and try to get some positive energy. You said, and you immediately looked at him and said, no, because the way the playoffs are shaping up, we can meet them in the second or third round. And I want to be prepared for them. And this guy was so, and you were in 14th place. You're in the playoffs yet, but your attitude was so positive that you were going to be there. <laughs> you didn't even give a second thought. And I remember a couple of days later, listening to the Bill Waters show, Driving Home. He talked about that interview on the air and somebody brought it up and he said, listen, let me tell you one thing. Never underestimate Gabby and don't bet against him because I don't, that's all I can tell you about him. Well, Bill's, I, Bill's a good friend and uh, uh, he was my agent for many years uh, uh, and I still, I could tell more stories about Bill Waters helping me out and more, and more problems than I had. So it's, uh, it's great that the, he said nice things like that. Well, um, what, what are, give us your top three moments or three things in your coaching career. Uh, I mean, in the NHL, especially, uh, never mind the minors. Uh, and I don't mean that in a bad way, but, no. but what, what were your top three moments in the NHL as far as being a coach? Well, I think, I mean, the first year, we had to win our last seven games to win the division, and we did. 
um, to make the playoffs. I think and Washington hadn't made the playoffs since 98. Um, so that was a big deal. I mean, I remember being pretty pumped up about that. I remember, um, you know, winning the second round uh, and getting to play in the conference uh, final against Chicago when I was in Anaheim was uh, really exciting um, to me. Um, and that year, um, the the thing that, you know, we started out 1-7-2, and two, and I thought for sure I was going to get fired. And we ended up winning the conference, winning the Jennings, uh, having the best penalty killing and the best power play in the league. I think that was always the most satisfying thing with me. Um, uh, the next year, going to Minnesota, we ended up with 106 points, and um, we were 4-10 and 10 in March. And if we had been 500 in March, we went on President's Trophy. I, I always thought that was great. Uh, um, so, But I, I can tell you, like, it, there's so many good moments that I've had. They outweigh the bad. Um, I've had three bad moments and I was fired in all three of them. So, I mean, uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, I was going to get to that, but I knew uh, those were the answers. Yeah. Well, yeah. But I mean, other than that, uh, uh, you know what? I love it. And it's one of the reasons that I want to keep doing it. I mean, uh, I think I've got a lot of energy and, uh, uh, I may be, maybe, uh, getting a little bit older, but I don't, I think I identify with the kids more than I identify with the older guys. And it's, uh, uh, it's something I just want to continue doing. I mean, I know it's, we've all got, sorry, your son is following in your footsteps. Yeah. My son coaches in Fort Wayne. And, uh, uh, I told him the other day because of this COVID-19, I said, and you know, the East coast league might not start till who knows when. And I said, you, you got to get used to moving. Um, because if you've chosen this, uh, profession as uh, as what you want to do uh, there's going to be ups and downs and uh, let's just hope the ups outweigh the downs but I mean uh, you want to do it for the rest of your life be prepared to move and have you better have a good hockey wife because that's a an important an important thing or just as important thing but I think he's a really good coach I could talk about him for a long time I think he's gonna I think he's on his way he knows he knows what he's doing and uh you know, anything I can do to help him, I will. Except be his assistant. I won't be his assistant. <laughs> now, um, and now, just on the, on the coaching line. So, first off, what do you think makes a good coach these days in the NHL? Communication. I think we all know the same things. Everybody's talking about the Barry Trotz thing. Everybody uh, teaches the same stuff. It's uh, uh, getting them to buy in to it and getting them to sort of throw their egos away a little bit to play the way you have to play to win. Um, so, I mean, uh, uh, we all know that the X's and O's. I mean, uh, it's that's pretty – there's not much difference in anybody yeah. there. Somebody might have a different neutral zone um, than you, but, you know, for the most part, we all know and teach the same stuff. But it's, it's how you deal with players, how you handle uh, the communication. I have a firm belief that there's – 23 different players in the NHL on your team. You have 23 different personalities. You have to get to know each personality and make it work for you against them. In other words, if, uh, if a guy is playing crappy and you yell at him, sometimes he goes right into a shell and he can't do anything. So mm-hmm. you got to find out what makes him work. 
like Mike Green, for example, was a great example. I one night I yelled at him. I came right down the bench and yelled at him. He was done. So I knew that the the following time that he was having a rough game, I'd go up to him, whisper in his ear, "Mike, I really need you today. Come on, buddy. Give him a pat on the back." And he was fine after that, and he played well. So some guys need a kick in the butt. Some guys need a pat on the back. Some guys need fining. Some guys lose ice time. I mean, you it's my job to find out what makes them be the best that they can be and use that against them. Now, did you, from your past experiences and the way you were handled being brought up, did you use some of that to say, you know, that was maybe, in your view, the wrong way to do things. Like, I was put in a, a position to, to not succeed. I was almost put in a position where I had to prove myself, but, it, but failure was probably more going to be along the lines of what's going to happen. But this way, like, you look at a young guy today, he comes up and he immediately plays with good players, and he gets mm-hmm. an opportunity. Is that, would you use that as your philosophy as well? Yeah, I mean, now, I mean, uh, Rick said it earlier, you, you bring up guys for the position. If you've got a four, you need a fourth line center. Yeah, you got to bring up a fourth line center that's accustomed to that a penalty killer. If you need a score, you bring up the best score. Yeah, you know, same thing on defense. Um, whether it's a shutdown guy or an offensive guy, I mean, so you you do that to to the position. But I mean, uh, I would immediately when I'm bringing up the the young guy coming in, I would put him. Uh, and play him. And if he made a mistake, I'd say, don't worry about it. Uh, let's get going. Let's keep going. You know, I mean, you might not play the last five minutes of the game if it's a 2-2 mm-hmm. game in an important battle. But I wanted to put him in important situations for a couple of reasons. One, to to give him confidence. And two, to see if he could do it. Mm-hmm. Like, I remember yeah. calling up this one guy who, who sat out in Vancouver this year. He wasn't playing in the playoffs, but he signed by him. His name's Tyler Gravak. And uh, I put him on um, against Winnipeg in the playoffs on a face-off in our zone. And he looked at me and he says, what are you doing putting me out in our zone? I'm no good uh, in our zone. And I said, you win the face-off and get your butt back out here, back here. And, uh, but, I mean, I couldn't believe that he didn't think that he was good enough to play in that situation. So, you know, I mean, you got to do those things. Yeah, it's, uh, it's a fine line. Uh... You know, Gabby, but I, I, I think you're you're right on 100%. I mean, you need to find that, and that's one of the things. When I before I coached, like I said, I bought those books, sports psychology and regular psychology, really helped me identify a person's uh, what they what made them tick, and it 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 helped me identify that fairly quickly. So I knew whether I had to kick the guy in the butt or pat him on the back, and I thought that was a probably my biggest strength when I coached. Unfortunately, I didn't get to coach that long, but um, you know my record was was pretty darn good. But um, because I I knew what to do with certain players, and and I think that's the biggest thing. Communication is so important. You look at Rick Bonus the other night. I love what he did with Corey Perry. Corey Perry is a veteran of whatever, however many you you coached him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he took a stupid penalty and was kind of starting to go a little off the rails. And all Rick Bonus did went down, put his arm around him, just said, hey, you know, probably I don't know exactly what he said, but he probably said, you know, hey, we need you out here tonight. We don't need you in the box. Take it easy and, and do what you do best. And, uh, and they won the hockey game. So, you know, that's what it takes is communication. I think – 
that word in itself, when you said that, it just registered right here. And that, that's what it's all about, uh, being a successful coach, is being able to communicate with your players and your, your assistant coaches and your trainers and everybody in the organization. That, that's what makes you a good coach. Well, yeah, we can see Thank that. And, uh, and speaking of that, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I mean, obviously you have that ability. So we'd be remiss, uh, Gab, if we didn't ask, what's, what's in store for you, hopefully, in the future? Is there Toronto possibly in the prospects? Well, you know what? I want to coach in the NHL. Um, I think my first goal is to be a head coach. Uh, mm-hmm. But I have no problem being an assistant if I'm asked. Uh, I want to be – I mean, I, I think I'd have a problem in – in other cities, but if being asked in Toronto, I would be, I think it would be a great honor. Um, but uh, I think I'm still looking at the head coaching thing, uh, hoping that it comes to fruition. I think I'm good enough. I think uh, uh, my record speaks for itself when it comes comes to that. There's just not that many jobs open right now. And hopefully I don't wish ill well on anybody, but uh, the nature of the beast is is people get let go. And I hope they think of me when they're going to do that, when they let somebody go. Well, I'm pretty sure that you're going to be on everybody's list, Gabby. There's no question about that. Uh, you know, you've had a, a great coaching career. Uh, obviously, you're a great player. You didn't get the opportunity like the guys get today, like where coaches put them in positions to succeed. And I, I witnessed that. I didn't see that. You didn't get that opportunity like they do today. And uh, I look back and I go, you know, he could have been such a great player in the National Hockey League if he had been put with the right players, and he weren't. I was glad when you got your first coaching job in the NHL and you've gone on to be a great coach. So hopefully uh, something comes along pretty soon. Well, I'm hoping to, uh, <laughs> believe me. Hey, go ahead. Mike. No, I was, gonna, I, no, I was just going to say to you, Gab, that, that – um, I think one of the things that comes through loud and clear and anybody who speaks to you is the fact that, I mean, here's a guy you could sit and you could actually be somewhat bitter for the way you were treated maybe at the National Hockey League level to some degree. Maybe a lot of it was brought on by yourself and maybe your lifestyle. And that's the way things were back in those days. And that's what people have to, to appreciate. But I think what comes through loud and clear is you've never let that judge anything of your thought process as far as dealing with players today. And if anything, it's a learning experience for you. And you, you, you've been, it sounds like you're very open-minded when you're dealing with your players. I think I learned from everything. I mean, from every situation from that happens, that's uh, happened to me or happened in a coaching uh, game. Um, those things, I can't remember uh, what my wife made for breakfast yesterday, but I can remember anything in hockey. It's, it's amazing. She says I got the worst memory in the world and then I'm losing it, but I know everything about hockey and nothing uh, about life. I don't know why, but it is what it is. So you're, you're a uh, lifer. That's why. Yeah. yeah. Hey, I got I to tell I one story. I got Go the problem. Yeah. Like she yeah. tells me something in the morning, but yet when I come home, I can remember every golf shot I hit for 18 <laughs> holes. Yeah. And she, I, I, it's like, oh, you can remember that, but you can't remember to pick yeah. up the dry cleaning? Like, I, I think all wives have that same line <laughs> ready to go. Yes. Uh, what were you going to say, Gabby? You're I, I, got, I got one quick story before. I don't know yeah. how long we're going to go, but this oh, is a great you story. Are. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Like uh, one thing when Rick moved to um, uh, or when he was, he's got to be an established star still living in, in Scarborough. Um, 
you know what? We joined, I mean, I had already been on it for a couple of years, the Metro Ball Hockey League, okay? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and I asked Rick, and now he's the captain of the Maple Leafs, but Rick wanted to play. He was great like this. And we one night we were playing, and uh, we were playing a bunch of 18-year-old, uh, a lot of Italians in it. So all their dads and moms were watching in the stands. I don't know if remember Rick remembers this. Oh, but I they, remember. They were chopping at us, chopping at us, and, and, oh, yeah, you guys are NHLers, blah, blah, blah. And then Rick got so ticked off, he jumped headfirst into their bench, and we started a big brawl. And, and I, I took him aside after the game. I says, I don't think you better play in this league anymore. <laughs> Well, I, I actually quit after that game. Yeah, that's I what I meant. I think I got suspended for four games. I said, ah, I've had enough of this. It's not worth it. I, I do remember that, though, Gabby. That was uh, – It was a lot of fun, and they were picking on you because, I mean, you're a Maple Leaf, and uh, um, you were a major Maple Leaf, and, and I, I wouldn't have been able to take it either. Like, they were easier on me because I was just sort of a minor league Maple Leaf. But What uh, I liked about that the most was it was good for conditioning because we had to run up and down the floor. Yeah. But, mm. but when, I love when we got a power play because you and I played the point on the opposite sides – and we'd throw it across nice and slow, and then the one-timers, the that ball would turn and twist. And it was we had a good time. It was a lot of fun. I wish I could have continued playing, but after that, I said, eh, I think I'm done. I, well, I, don't think, I don't think I should play anymore. No, it was an intelligent move because you were the captain of the Maple Leafs, and, and these guys were all picking on you, but it was fun. We would love – and if we didn't score with the ball curving like crazy and it hit the goalie, it hurt like hell. And yeah. we, we used to laugh so hard. Uh, it was a great time, great time. Now, now Gabby, you, now all your years of traveling, the players you played with, you played with hundreds of players, it sounds like, over the years. Uh, a couple of the characters that stand Thousands, out. Thousands, maybe? No, yeah. <laughs> a, a couple of the, well, the movie, going back to the movie, did you, was there any uh, hijinks or highlights you remember from the movie that were pretty funny when that was all going on? Oh, there was a lot of them, but I'm not going anywhere near that. Okay. Um, I can't well, tell those stories. Uh, Dave told uh, us know. a couple of the other, Dave told us a couple last week with uh, Paul Newman and some of the hijinks they were put, playing on, jokes they were playing on guys all the time. Well, yeah, he got to see Paul a lot more than, than I did. I mean, um, with me, the one great, thing like it's funny how you remember things dave asked me one night he says well, if you uh, ask my wife i don't remember anything yeah <laughs> <laughs> he, he says to me he says you want to go see the dailies and i didn't know what they were but i guess what they are is what they showed uh, what they shot that day and the the um, director and paul newman would watch them in the evening and i said yes that's, i'd love to do that so me and dave hansen and George Roy Hill and Paul Newman went and watched the dailies. And uh, uh, I remember distinctly, Paul Newman, we, he was sat in the front row, obviously, and we were behind yeah. him. He turned around and he said, you know what? I just made a movie for the money called Judge Roy Bean. And it wasn't very good. But he says, this movie is going to be great. It's going to be hilarious. And I said, really? And yeah. And he said, yes, it is. So he knew, he knew his stuff. You know, I mean, it would because the movies stood the test of time and still in the top five sports movies of all time, I think, if you ask anybody. Well, uh, how realistic, now we spoke to Dave, anybody, but how realistic was that towards some of the play? And again, you're a smaller guy playing in that league. You would see some of those uh, assassins, you know, skating around the ice. How oh, yeah. Well, I'll tell you how close it was. We played – there was a team in the league called 
the Bose Jaros, okay? Now, let alone the bus trip, but we played them one night, and we had to go from Johnstown to Cape Cod, which was 16 hours in a storm. And then in that, we got on the bus and went to Bose, uh, which is in Quebec, and it was a 13-hour drive. And they were sort of like undefeated at home. And yeah. we're playing there, and they've got um, – they, they had all the penalty minute leaders like you saw coming out of the gate <laughs> when Paul Newman is there. And they had this one guy, and Rick probably knows of him, Wally Weir, okay? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I know that, and Wally Weir wore a toque on the ice. <laughs> and if you knocked the toque off, you had to fight him. <laughs> and so needless to say, he had a lot of room out there. And I remember we won the game and we skated backwards to the, to the, um, uh, to the exit because we were afraid they were all going to jump us. <laughs> I mean, there was an awful lot of uh, Johnstown Jet stories, but I mean, th there was like – this was coming on the heels of Johnstown winning it a couple of years ago, which the movie was, was based on, yes. on the toughness. And we still had all the Carlsons and Dave Hansen and every other tough guy in the world. But uh, uh, I was just a poor guy coming out of Toronto that played on a great team. And now I'm into this. And it was pretty nutso. So, I mean, who were some of the other characters you ran across through those years? Or you, you can remember some of the crazy um, guys? You know what... Uh, uh, when I played in, in uh, Springfield, uh, the Islanders, all they drafted was tough Western guys like Kerry Clark and um, Rod Dolman, Mick Vakota. Uh, and, you know, these guys uh, were as tough as, as they were. And if you ever want to, again, YouTube Fredericton Springfield brawl, and you'll see them all. And, I mean – Dale Henry headbutted Jill's Billado. Do you remember that name? Oh, I know that. I sure, yes, sure do. do. And, you know that guy. and he headbutted him, and blood started spewing like uh, on the ice, like all over the place. And he couldn't stand up. And I'm going, my God, what do we, what do we do? John Four, <laughs> John Forslin was calling the game um, because he was our 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 play by play guy, and he couldn't believe it. But we could talk. I'm sure Rick could. Uh, all about the brawls that we've seen, the characters that we've been through. I remember one fight against Maine Mariners where Eddie Johnson and Pat Quinn were in at center ice, and they were the coaches throwing punches, <laughs> ripping their <laughs> ripping their uh, uh, their coats off. It was like wow, like I mean, this is nuts. Well, it was funny. Funny you mentioned that because I remember when when I went to coach in the ECHL, and of course I played for John Brophy in Birmingham. He, the year before he was an assistant, they had Billado beaten. Uh, who was the guy from Toronto, Mike? Uh, which, oh, uh, which guy? You talk, uh, oh, uh, Steve Durbano. Durbano. They had Durbano? They had Durbano. And then, of course, all, <laughs> those, guys, yeah. and then all, all those guys are gone, and Broke becomes the head coach in Birmingham. So I had him there, and I had him in Toronto. So I'm coaching against him. In, I'm in Charleston. He's in Norfolk. And – I put out a, uh, one of my guys that, you know, came in a trade with Jared Bednar, actually, from Huntington. And he was – he could play, and, but he was a big, big, tough guy. And Broke put his line out, and my tough guy and his tough guy fought. My guy beat the hell out of his tough guy. And then he, he starts coming around the glass. He wants to fight me. <laughs> like, what the <laughs> hell is your problem, Broke? He goes – you put your guy out after my guy. I go, no, no. I said, 
I had first change. I put my guy out, then you put your guy out. I can't help it if my guy beat your guy up. And then he was like going crazy. He was halfway around the, around the glass. And then I think afterwards we, we went out for dinner and it was all over. So that's the type of guy Brof was, though. He was a competitive guy and uh, uh, he didn't like to lose whether it was a fight or, or a game. And uh, But I remember that, that day is like it was yesterday. But, oh, boy, I'll tell you, Wally Weir played in Quebec. I played against him uh, in the WHA and then in the NHL. I think he was still there, I think my first year in the NHL, maybe first couple. He was tough. Uh, he was a little crazy, too. As well, most of those tough guys were. Well, you know what? You get those stories. Like yeah. in the movie Slapshot, when the the Indian guy comes up with yeah, the yeah, thing, yeah. that's like he's wearing that. You get knocked that off. I'm sure that, you know, Nancy Dowd, who was the yeah. screenwriter, got stuff like that from all these stories. So it was, it was pretty cuckoo. <laughs> so let's let's go to the other way, other side of this. And uh, Gabby, how about so from the coaching uh, angle, name a player or two that you may take great satisfaction or some satisfaction in the fact that you helped move them along and maybe made them a better player than you, they thought they might have been. And you can look back and take some credit for it. I think all those guys that I had in Washington that were Dave Steckel, Boyd Gordon, Brooks Like, um, these kind of guys that they played and then they moved up and they be, Thomas Fleischman uh, became, um, you know, mid-range stars in the in the NHL, I thought were were really good. And I mean, I was lucky enough that, I, I, you know, George would listen back then. I said, we need Matt Hendricks. We need him. Um, and we got him on a tryout. And I, you know, I promised Matt that if he came on a tryout, I wouldn't let him get sent down. And he made the team and he ended up having an eight or nine year career out of it. And that was great. We brought a guy that never played an NHL game, Quentin Lang, who played the year before, but was just a, a heart and soul type fourth line guy that you kind of need and and uh, these are kind of guys because coaches um, uh, I think they gravitate towards uh, you know they all love the stars and I love Alex and Nick Backstrom and all of those guys and the gets laughs of the world but it's the players that don't get the the the, the print or the paper and everything else that work their ass off all day long and they don't ask for anything. Those are the players that I think coaches resonate, uh, uh, just want to have success. And uh, those are the kind of guys like in Minnesota, Jared Spurgeon, I didn't help him get there, but these are kind of guys I would go through a wall with for, um, I really love Ryan Getzlaff, the Corey Perry's, um, you know, I mean, uh, guys like they were stars, but they were great for me because they helped me along. But I mean, the young guys that we brought up, Pat Maroon, um, Cam Fowler, all of these guys, mm -hmm. uh, I, I, I loved, you know, there's very few guys that you really go home and you go, honey, if I could get rid of this guy in a <laughs> minute, I'd get rid of him. But there's a couple, and I won't mention them, but the, yeah, every team has one or two. And But I try to look at the guys that I really liked and really uh, think I did helped along the way play in the NHL that I that uh, is much more satisfying. It's Rick, funny, anything before we let uh, Gabby go? It's funny you say that because, you know, I mean, uh, I think hockey – in general, are the, the guys in, in the hockey business, players, coaches, are great people. And I, you know, mm -hmm. I think if you compare them to other sports, perhaps a little bit more down to earth. And, uh, 
I think you're absolutely right, though, Gabby. There's there's always one or two, but overall, you pretty much love every guy that's on your team. They go out, they work their tails off, and, and they do their job. And that's one of the things I love about the game of hockey. So, Percy, uh, let's, uh, you know, we've taken up a lot of your time. Anything you want to leave us with before we depart? Any who who won the tour championship? Do you have it on over there? I haven't got it on yet. No, I don't. Well, Dustin Johnson had a five-stroke lead. Yeah, but he only had a two-stroke lead when I got up here. So anyway, okay. Uh, that that being said, no, I I appreciate you guys um, uh, having me on. Uh, uh, anything I can always do to talk hockey, I love doing it, uh, especially to mostly people around Toronto. Uh, it's uh, always be home to me. If they ever let us get across the border, I'll be there again. Fantastic. Fantastic. Okay, well, listen, we want to thank you again. Squid, any final thoughts? No, all I want to say, Gabby, is good luck. I hope you get a job soon. You're a great coach. Uh, I love playing with you. You're a great guy. And, and, hey, I just want to see you behind a bench sooner rather than later. Squid, Gabby, never disappoints, and he certainly didn't this time. He gave us a nice – one of those guys I could say that you can listen to for hours and still wouldn't be enough. So speaking of coaching, uh, obviously the Toronto job has now gone to Mahalter and we recorded this before uh, that was all decided with Bruce's comments. But on the back of all that, one major coaching job was filled this week and that was in Washington with Peter Laviette. And that's a pretty experienced coach. But one of the things that I found interesting was the fact that it was a short-term contract. It was only three years, got 14 million bucks. So that was nothing to sniff at, but I would say that in this win-now league of the NHL, the Caps management feels the clock's ticking and they want to squeeze as much of the remaining drops of competitiveness out of this team that they can get and they figure Leviat's the guy and let's get her done. Well, I, I think I agree uh, 100% with that, Mike. And, and I think you could probably say that about the entire National Hockey League. Well, that's where I was going with this. You know, I mean, you know, every team has a little bit of a window and – you know, you have three years, you have four years, you have five where, you know, you, you, your key players are going to get a little older or they're going to be moving on, they're going to become free agents, whatever the case might be. Mm-hmm. So time is of essence to win a Stanley Cup in the National Hockey League. So um, teams are being a lot less patient now with their coaches uh, than perhaps they were in the past. And, you know, uh, you look at, Todd Reardon, I mean, you know, two seasons. That's it. You're gone. You know? oh, by the way, he was in the playoffs. It's not like he didn't make the playoffs. Exactly. <laughs> but he didn't win a Stanley Cup. And I guess in Washington now, obviously, the goal is a Stanley Cup because they've already won one. And and I think that's the goal, obviously, with all 31, yeah. soon to be 32 teams. But it's that's where the patience comes in. And uh, I think it's kind of like, you know, you got two or three years. If Yeah, I mean, if you're getting to the conference finals or the Stanley Cup finals every year, you're going to stay. But if you're not uh, and you're losing out in the first round or second round two years in a row, there's a good chance you might be replaced. Well, I, I think this – I mean, uh, I think this is just going to add – additional pressure in Toronto. I mean, it's enormous enough already playing in a city like this. Now, this may be stating the obvious a little bit, but the next couple of moves, 
better be designed or should be designed to make a real advancement. So the pressure's on not only Dubis, but Keefe over the next, I would say, six, seven months. I would have to say you're absolutely right. I mean, I, I think Kyle Dubas is under a lot of uh, scrutiny right now. Um, this team has not won a round of the playoffs since he's been hired by the Toronto Maple Leafs. Um, he's going to make some moves. Obviously, he's already started by moving Kapanen, uh, which we've already talked about. I'm sure there's more moves to come. Well, a lot of, I mean, I, I think there's more pressure on him than anybody. Uh, the problem is, is if, if he gets fired, then what happens to Keith? Because he's kind of his guy. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you know what it's like. General man, new general manager comes in. He wants his own guy. And, yeah. uh, and you can't blame them. I mean, they want somebody they can trust, someone they know, know that can get the best out of the, their players and uh, they're going to do whatever they can. Now, if the new GM comes in and thinks that uh, Sheldon Keith is a guy to do it, well, then he'll keep him. But chances are, if the general manager is moved, the coach will be too. Well, and you know, we're going to find out in the next couple of weeks because free agency, the draft, yeah. Stanley Cup final, all around the corner here, <laughs> the dates are ticking. So there's going to be some interesting things to talk about going forward. Now, I'd just like to close uh, uh, this segment with a couple of personal observations in the sporting world. I'm catching squid off guard in this one because I never gave my heads up on this, so I want to get his response. So, and this actually could be a little bit of a, a lead into free agency. The life isn't always greener uh, with, on other pastures. Now, we heard Tom Fergus a couple of weeks ago talk about when we mentioned Tory Crude as a possible candidate, maybe come to Toronto or some city like that, that Bruins have a system that's put in place that players leave that city and don't play the same way sometimes as a rule so now as a bills fan and a very frustrated bills fan over the last few years i have to say i took great satisfaction even though it was only week one and seeing mr tom brady less than stellar on opening weekend in the nfl getting dissed by his coach in the press <laughs> and that pain look on his face was worth every ounce of it. And I haven't seen it look like that since that massive ego of his took a hit playing in that foursome with Tiger, Phil, and Peyton. And by the way, Squid, if he's an eight handicap, I'm a scratch. And I'm about 25 shots away from being a scratch. Yeah, there's no way he's an eight, I can tell you that. Unless he's playing uh, where they're playing the U.S. Open now all the time, courses like that. Yeah. That possibly, uh, well, no, he wouldn't be an eight. Uh, He's he, not must, he must be playing municipal courses that are that have no trees. <laughs> <laughs> well, and the second part of my observation is is also like while I'm really on my rant here to give it to guys is isn't that such a shame that Quinlander got beat out the other night? And not only that, <laughs> he took the gas. Him and his guy he had to have to make it all work, Paul George, who absolutely horrible in game seven. And we're outdone by a Canadian, Jamel. Longer. Absolutely. And he got them. So you know what? Guys, free agents, pay attention. 
I guess the only <laughs> well, I guess the only other good thing about all that is that big mouth owner of theirs. You know, he can stuff that in his yap. Obviously, I remember him screaming in the when he when he was stealing the player from Toronto. So you know, but that looks good on the ball. But anyway, there's my rant for the day on sports. But free agents pay attention to that because you never know. It'll be interesting. Very, very interesting. There's a all lot, right. a lot of good free agents out there. So uh, I'll definitely be waking up for that. <laughs> Yes, exactly. Well, on that note, I mean, it's that time again where we've got to call it. Uh, we want to thank on our show today for Bruce Brudeau joining us and uh, being so generous with his time with us. Uh, we also want to, talk our, to thank our friends at the Hockey News uh, who cover all things pertaining to hockey. Go to THN.com slash deal for the best value for your subscription to the Hockey News. Follow us at Squid and the Ultimate Leaf Fan on Twitter. Uh, my social page is the Ultimate Leaf Fan. Rick's Instagram page, Rick5. And guys, uh, you know, as always, we'd like to hear from you guys. Send us any of your thoughts or don't give me any hack about Tom Brady or, or quite. I, I was only joking. Guys. Well, I was I going to, but anyway. I was only joking. I, was having I, a I think he's probably one of the best quarterbacks uh, ever. Probably in NFL oh. history. Oh, absolutely. He's got to be in the top five or ten. Well, I mean, what's he won? Five Super Bowls? Uh, six, I think. Six? I mean, you know, come on. No, but why do, why do you leave? But, well, I don't know why he left. I mean, maybe he was sick and tired of Belichick. Yeah. I don't know. I mean. Uh, yeah, yeah, you know, but I mean, you're at the end of your career. Why, why, why put yourself in a position to look bad? And then Kawhi Leonard, if it's all about winning, why would you leave? And the sad part about that that I'll be serious about is the fact that he could have used the Raptors and the Raptors could have used him and they'd probably still be playing. I that's, think that's the pity. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, he he left, made them make a trade before he would sign with the Clippers. Yeah, I know it's his hometown, but I mean, could you imagine Game Seven, the Raptors, if they had him? Yep. I think they're, they're moving on to the. They they may even have won another uh, uh, title. That's right, but, but again, it's one of those things. Yeah, we'll have to wait and see, but. Let's get back to our real sport, the one that counts, hockey. We put all those other ones on the back burner now. But anyway, guys, again, listen to us on our – follow us on our social networks. Uh, listen, thanks for joining us. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you guys next week.